Colossians chapter 2, I was uh, thinking about the music night when, um, when uh, they sang this morning. I, I don't, uh, of course, I'm, I'm translating, and so I don't see all of that, but uh, um, Emmanuel, the God of all the ages, that song that they sang this morning. Well, I, I know that for the music night, they had the words up there. I don't know if they did this morning. But, uh, wow, how significant that was. That really, really touched my heart that, that night. And uh, what a beautiful song that is and how it makes us think of our Savior. Um, they, they, so it's, it's good to be able to sing good songs, good music. And I'm so thankful for our church. What a great music program we have. Thank the Lord for it. And the only thing is I, I didn't realize how petty songwriters were. <laughs> That's kind of petty. Like, get over it. It's a couple words, my word. Anyway, for those of you that came to the wedding yesterday, I want to say that on behalf of my wife and I, thank you very much. You made it a very special time. Uh, I felt like we were at our church almost. I think there were more people from our church, maybe. But, uh, wow, what a, what a great celebration that was. And I'm very, and all of you that came, you really made it. I know that some of you would have liked to have come, but you just, you just couldn't. It's perfectly understandable, but... Uh, Wow, you really made it special for us. You certainly did, and I'm, I'm glad that you could, you could have celebrated that time with us. So uh, continue to pray for them. They're uh, going to serve the Lord in Virginia for as long as the Lord wants there. And uh, so I think that um, I, I feel like it was an encouragement to a lot of people, including Pastor Cole. It was a perfect uh, thing. I think he was just the man that God had uh, to, to give the service there. And I thought the service was a very, very, very good one. And I'm very, very pleased. And God's, I believe God was honored through it all. Uh, Mrs. Murdoch said something when we were taking pictures, and uh, uh, of course I love to take pictures. I'm very photogenic, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, the, the camera smiles at me. It's it's very embarrassing. But um, we were lining up, you know, to see which way and which way do we go, you know. So she said, "Well, um, if you're on Andrew's family, you're going to be on this side, and if you're on Ellie's family, you'll be on that side." So we learned because then she said, because in a hundred years from now, they're going to know that was part of his family. And that caught my attention when she said that. I thought, a hundred years from now? What in the world? Like, Andrew and Ellie aren't even going to be around. Who, who knows what's going to happen with that picture? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe a hundred years from now. But it caused me to think, no one's going to know who I am. <laughs> they're they're going to look at that picture, and uh, I guess somebody got married somewhere, and uh, evidently these were part of that family. You know, what if somebody just picked it up? It was kind of a significant thing for me, and I thought, oh, we're, life's pretty short, really, isn't it? So, uh, but God's good. We need to take advantage of those times that we do have. Uh, but thank you for coming. I wanted to express that. Um, but but God's good, and so I'm going to be in Colossians today. Every Christmas, it seems like I learned something. You get more of a complete picture of what birth of Christ really was. And so I want to give you a little bit more complete picture. I'm going to take a, I hesitate to say a different angle on it. It's not, it's not really, but um, just to give you a fuller picture of what was really happening. I, my goal tonight is uplift, is uplift you. I want to uplift you tonight. I want, I want you to be, I want you to see Christ's birth and the, the tremendous impact that it's really had on the entire world back then and what it has had now. And so I want to uplift you. I want you, I hope at, at the end of this, your spirit will be uplifted and you'll be encouraged uh, in your walk with the Lord uh, today. So um, you're in Colossians chapter 2, but in uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says that, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and so many of you are undoubtedly familiar with that verse. But it says, the Word was made flesh. In that song, um, it says, uh, 
you are Emmanuel or something. The God of all the ages wrapped in human flesh, and that's kind of, it's kind of a metaphorical meaning, of course. Um, those aren't theological terms, but, but we understand that uh, the pre-incarnate God was made flesh, and he existed before he was born. Let me, let me just say that he existed in full capacity. In fact, not only did he just exist, he was the master of all the universe. He was the master of the entire universe. He spoke. He was the word. Wow, such simple terms, isn't it? Wow, what theological significance. The word was made flesh. And then the apostle John there goes on to say, and he dwelt among us. Wow. He's, what, not too many people can say that. I can't say that physically he dwelt among us, but he could say that. I was there physically at the same time Jesus Christ was there. He dwelt among us. And then, it's, then he goes on. He says, and we beheld his glory. Now, that could be a reference undoubtedly to the Mount of Transfiguration. But the point is that a physical Savior physically lived with them, walked with them, ate with them. First John chapter 1, it says that um, in the beginning was the word. Sorry, it says, uh, and we, uh, let me just go there. You know, I can quote that 100 million times until all of you are looking at me. But in First John chapter 1, and you're thinking, dumb, dumb, I can quote it for you right now. Uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Okay, notice the physical part of it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have looked upon, and, and not, that's not right. This from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, yes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Do you see what John is getting at there? How many senses are used there? You got your ears, right? We heard him. We heard him. Our ears, we heard what he said. We said, we saw him. Our eyes beheld him. Now just imagine in your mind's eye now, he looked Jewish. You know, he wasn't a white person with golden hair and a halo. We're going to get to that in a minute, but he was Jewish. He was a Jewish man. And he was, he was a real person. Believe it or not, that's what affected me. Um, that's why I got saved. I got saved because when I read the scriptures, Jesus Christ was real to me. For the first time in my life, he was a real, real, real person. He has a genealogy. There's Just like I do, he, he has all of these things. He was a real person. So he's using all these physical, figure, um, physical things. He said, and our hands handled him. We embraced him. We touched him. Can you imagine to, if you could say that? And he's giving evidence here, isn't he? He's giving facts. And so it was important for, um, for the, the Apostle John and others to be so physical and so descriptive. And so the question might be, why? Why is that so necessary? Why is it? And of course, that all began when he was born. That's the whole point. When he was born, he took on that flesh, and it grew just like the rest of us. And, and so he, we, and it says, so in, in all of this, there's a significance there. I want to drive this significance home this evening. And I want to make it, I want you to see that not only was there a baby wrapped there, but that was a victory over Satan that goes beyond maybe what our, that, that goes certainly beyond scratching just the surface. If you consider how much Satan had, had tried to keep that from happening. Uh, when Cain Sluebo was mentioned this morning, that was an attempt. That was Satan's attempt to destroy the Lanuk so that he wouldn't come as a baby and, and be born. When Pharaoh threw the babies into the river, the Hebrew male children, that was Satan's attempt to destroy the line of Christ. The line of Jeconiah, you might know that. That was where that his um, seed was not going to sit on the throne. That was God's attempt, or Satan's attempt, pardon me, to destroy the line of Christ. But you know what? 
it didn't work. To me, Satan wasted his time because that baby was born anyway. And no matter what he did, it was going to happen. And uh, wow, what a significance. So if that's true, and if the heavenly host were uh, glory to God in the highest, and they're, and they're undoubtedly screaming, and, and uh, I say screaming, but singing it certainly, to shepherds, um, I, I firmly believe that that heavenly host went through a, quite a battle to get there. I believe they, they battled a satanic host. I believe that Satan's forces tried to keep them from announcing. They couldn't keep the birth of the Savior happened. I believe that. That's what happened. We know in the book of Daniel that when God sent those angels as messengers, there was a conflict there. And in the book of Jude, it talks about that. And so it, they didn't get there. I think they got there through much, much battle. But, you know, it, do you begin to see? Do you begin to see? What a victory over Satan, the birth of that little baby. And we have a quaint scene of the manger scene and all that, and it is, and that's fine, okay? But it goes way, way beyond that. Satan, our enemy, tried desperately to keep that from happening. Wow, what a victory. And it happened. So what I want to talk about tonight is I want to impress uh, how important the fact that Jesus came to be born as a man. He took on a physical body. How important, how important that really is. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. I ask that you bless us now uh, this evening. I thank you for this time to get up and to, and to, uh, and to preach, to teach, and may it be a blessing to everybody. And Lord, our significance as Christians, we say that uh, Christ is the reason for the season. And all that's a quaint saying, but it is true. And, but Lord, we want to know this more deeply. And we want to really, really set it in our hearts how important, how important a victory was for that baby to be born of the virgin so many years ago in a quaint little town of Bethlehem and how significant that was. And Lord, you delight in using the simple things of the earth to confound the mighty and the weak things of the earth confound the strong. And uh, Lord, you do these things and only you can. Um, and it, it amazes us. We, we are amazed. We, we sit and stand here amazed that you became flesh and you dwelt among us, as John said. And they, I, think, they, I think that they realize the significance of it. And that's why they were willing to give their life for you. And so, Lord, thank you for your, your coming to earth and being born. And um, so, Lord, help me now to bring this out uh, in terms that are understandable. And ultimately, Lord, in the end, may your people be uplifted tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In Colossians, you're here in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 10. There it says, and we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. It talks about Jesus Christ. You'll see that in verse 6. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Hath he quickened together with hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses? And go to chapter three, verse one. If ye then, so he establishes this truth, and then he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Um, and then and then it goes on from there. I'll tell you the story of Larry Bader. I don't know if you know that story. Joseph Bader, pardon me. Lawrence Joseph Bader, there we go. He lived in the 50s, in the late 50s in Akron, Ohio, and he was a cookware salesman. And uh, he was married, and had, I think he had three children, and he wanted to get rich quick. And so he, he gave himself over to these get-rich-quick schemes. 
they didn't work. He got himself into a bit of financial trouble. And uh, so to ease his mind, sometimes to get away from it all a little bit, uh, from having to work all the time and to have these worries, he thought he would take a fishing trip. He liked archery. He was very good at, at archery, and uh, he liked fishing. So he rented a boat, and he went on to Lake Erie there, and he's fishing. Well, that day, unbeknownst to him, a terrible storm came over Lake Erie, and uh, that evening, his wife and children were waiting for him to return, Well, he never did. And they waited again and again and again, and as much as they could possibly to try to find him, they simply could not, and they gave him up for dead. They found his boat uh, that he had rented, but he, he wasn't there, so they thought certainly, the only thing that they could reasonably assume is that he, was, he died in the, uh, in the storm. Uh, about a year later, in Omaha, Nebraska, there's a man named John Fritz Johnson. Now, this man was a bit of a flamboyant character. Uh, he would do things like sit on a, a flagpole for 30 days to raise money for, for uh, some kind of um, charitable organization. And uh, he did some things that were a bit flamboyant, a bit um, out of the ordinary, a bit dramatic. And uh, he would do these things to raise money. He was a, he, as a result, he became a, a, a radio host in the Omaha, Nebraska area. And he was, uh, this would have been early 60s, 1961, around that time. He was pretty well known. And he still loved archery. He had a problem with cancer in his eye, and uh, he was wearing a patch, and that kind of added to his uh, mystique, as it were. And he became pretty popular in the in Nebraska area. And uh, he would do archery um, uh, exhibitions all over the place. And he was in Chicago around that time, and he was doing archery. And I, I assume it was something from what I read there that was something where you would go there, and they're trying to sell arrows and bows and that kind of thing. And there he's shooting, and he's quite good at it. And so he, people are amazed at it. Well, there was a, a man there who uh, uh, couldn't stop looking at him. Uh, he, was rec- he recognized him as somebody. And so uh, he was a co-worker of Joseph Bader. And he looked at him, and he couldn't, he couldn't uh, deny how, how similar he looked, Joseph Bader. And, of course, his name was John Fritz Johnson. John Fritz Johnson, I'm going to get these names wrong, but you understand what I mean. That was his name, so he's, he's shooting these arrows. And then, um, but he couldn't get over the fact, you know how you look at somebody and you're just sure that that's, uh, that that's somebody that you, think, that you think it is. And so he knew uh, Larry Bader enough to know that he had a daughter. So this, comp- this archery thing would go on for a number of days. He brings his daughter there and he says, you, you have to see this guy. I think I found your dad. So he goes there to Chicago. They, they were, uh, happened to be there at that time, although they're from Ohio. And this thing, all, it's kind of amazing, the coincidence. So they, they go there, and he looks at me, and she says, yeah. And so she approaches him and said, are, are you my dad? I lost my dad uh, so many years ago. Are, are you him? And he said, no, my name is Fritz Johnson. I'm not him at all. They couldn't get over it. So much so that they got his two brothers. He had two brothers, and uh, so that they can do a. And his brothers also were the same opinion. He must be that person. So they decided to get a, a a test to see if it was. And it turns out, much to Fritz Johnson's amazement, that it was a match. But there's no question that was Larry Bader. You say, how how can that be? How can I be Larry Bader when I'm Fritz Johnson? He realized that he didn't know who he was and that he was living a lie the whole time. And the best that people come up with after, after um, studying him for a number of hours, they just figured that he got a bad case of amnesia, and he just filled in the blanks with what he assumed was his history, and that's who he was. He was married, again. 
Um, he had children from, a, from, a, from another marriage. And uh, so you have one of the weirdest cases of amnesia that was ever recorded. Well, he went on and it caused problems for Mary Lou, his first wife, because of course then uh, she had received Social Security money, assuming that he was dead. Now he wasn't dead, so now he's got to pay all that money back. It was a problem. But there was Larry Bader, resurrected as Fritz Johnson. He was the walking dead. And that's the title of my, I'm going to use a dramatic title tonight, The Walking Dead, A Christmas Story. There you go. <laughs> but do you know that, that God wants us to be the walking dead? He does, in a way, in a sense. I don't know why I'm giving over the drama. Last time I preached, I think it was the crime of the century. So I'm giving over these dramatic titles recently. I don't know. It's a phase I'm going through. But um, so um, in Colossae, let me try to give you an idea of what things were like back then in the first century when Paul was writing to the church of Colossians. If we could walk down Main Street in ancient Colossae, which is now Asia Minor, Turkey, somewhere in there. And right now it's just a mound. It's nothing at all. Uh, so if you were to go to visit that, they would just show you a mound there. And that's the ancient city of Colossae. Very unimpressive. But, but the main street, you would, you would go down Main Street. Back in the heyday of Colossae, as it were, very prosperous town. In fact, it was the major city in the Lycus Valley there. And so as you walked down Main Street, you would see your eye would catch a lot of purple colors. Because purple, they were known for its um, pottery and the, 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 the earth and the, you know, the stuff that make pottery gave a purple color. It was very famous for that. So it was very marketable. Uh, I think people would come and they would buy things. And so that you would see merchants buying and selling and uh, giving prices and things. And you, undoubtedly, you would see people making garments or pottery. And as you walk down there, you would hear the river there. Probably people that were right by the river there. Probably people fishing and that kind of thing. So you would, you would uh, hear people selling. You would um, see things. And then if you looked out in the distance, you'd probably see a pagan temple. You would probably see a Greek temple and all of the people serving in the temple, the priests and the people there they would probably be there. It was in the distance there, very pagan, lots, lots of ritualism. And then you'll see maybe across the street another maybe church building or another temple. And this temple was more syncretic. And what that word means is it fuses religions together. And there was a worship of Michael, the archangel, evidently in this, in this city. And so that was a, they would use pagan rituals in a Judaic, uh, Judaism. It was a mixture of Judaism and, and paganism. And there was evidently a Christian community. So it was a fledgling small Christian community. Evidently, Paul's writing to them there at this time. And so you'd see these things. And this is what life was like back then. Evidently, Paul never visited this, uh, this church. He says, those who have not seen my face in the flesh, we assume that he never visited the church. Uh, but he knew some people. Paphras, we believe in chapter 4, was probably the pastor of this church and would undoubtedly have written some things through some people that Paul knew. And so he's writing the letter of Colossians. Uh, this letter was, uh, was written to this city when, as I said, when it was in kind of its heyday. Later on, um, it was, pardon me, it wasn't written during the heyday. It was written after that time because this city was eclipsed, as it were, by larger cities at that time. The time of the Romans came over, like Hierapolis, you might have heard of that, certainly you've heard of Laodicea. And these were larger cities in that area. And so um, uh, this is what you would see there. And what Paul then was fighting, it would, it would seem, by the way, that is believed that city uh, was destroyed in an earthquake around the year 60, and so it's gone. But what you would see with this pagan culture, and I guess I'm trying to paint this picture, because if you were a Christian back then, in this fledgling little church, this group of Christians, and you're trying to make it through, what are you battling? 
You're battling a lot of marketing, a lot of riches. You're battling uh, this uh, syncretic philosophy. You're battling all of this. How much do we incorporate of Judaism into Christianity? How much do we not? Uh, Certainly a very, very large pagan influence. And the world would be influencing that church. Paul recognized this, talking undoubtedly to Epaphras and found these things out. The Lord led him to write write this letter. So we get to chapter 2, and we see some of the things that uh, Paul was fighting. And he was fighting what in general is called, um, it's called Gnosticism is what it is. And let me explain this to you because it's going to be important in the birth of Christ. I'm getting around to that, okay, but I'm just building the, I'm building the case. So this uh, Gnosticism is just a general term, really. It comes from the word to know. Uh, Gnostics claim some kind of what's called esoteric knowledge or knowledge only known by a few. That's going to be important later, so I want you to remember that. Uh, it's, it's knowledge known by only a few people. And uh, so they, they, they try to gain this knowledge so that they can uh, advance in their understanding. What they believe is very platonic, really. In other words, it follows the teachings of Plato. But they believe, this is what they believe. They believe that, um, that God really is everything and that um, the physical things are, are wicked and wrong and that somehow all of us came from... Um, a spiritual thing. Uh, Plato called it the forms. And anyway, whatever you might call it, people call it the universal mind, people call it uh, nirvana, you might have heard of that, whatever, different ways. It's this thing. And the physical uh, came from the, the spiritual, but really it's, it's, it's bad, it's wrong, it's wicked. And what the goal of man is to get back to that spiritual state. That's the whole goal. So they do it by people who have gone before and have this knowledge known by only a few. And they try to gain this knowledge so they can uh, climb the rungs of this uh, ladder, as it were, to go up to the top there. And this is what the pagan philosophy was. Um, the uh, word, and uh, sorry, sorry, this philosophy crept into Christianity. So, the, so now you might be able to see that somebody that believes that to deal with a physical birth of Christ is a problem, isn't it? Because if the physical is bad, and if Jesus took on flesh, then he took on something that was bad. You follow that? I'm, I'm using simplistic terms and trying to. But that was a bad thing. So if they want to be Christian, they have to explain away how Jesus Christ could have possibly been physical and still be called and be worshipped as God. So uh, in particular about his birth, they believe that uh, the birth of Christ, uh, some people believe in what's called docetism. Basically what that is, is that Jesus was a phantom. <laughs> he wasn't real. And that the people that they saw and they touched and all that was just, uh, call it what you want to, it wasn't real. Okay, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a phantom. That word means, uh, the manifest, phan comes from an evidence of something. And then tom is a Greek word for division. So what a phantom is, is the manifestation of a division. And so when the spirit and the flesh separate, it's, a, it's a, an evidence of that. The word atom comes from that. Atom means no division. So um, this is, they believe it was a phantom. And so they're trying to explain away how uh, this can be. And they're trying to, be, to have this uh, union of um, paganism and Christianity. And this is where they come up with it. Another uh, theory is adoptionism. They think that... Uh, that the Spirit of God was really uh, the Word made flesh, and that the, it, it just used Jesus' body as, um, the, you know, to go around on this earth. But not that he was born, certainly not that he was born of a virgin. So these philosophies came about. And what is important about that is that comes, Satan is really who, who brought that about. In the garden, way back when, in the garden, uh, he gave these lies to Eve. And the lies were that 
you shall be as gods. You remember the serpent telling her that? You should be as gods, right? So he suggested that man could be God. Do you see that? That man could. And so as that's been Satan's uh, manner of being all, you know, all the time. That's what he teaches. And so the Bible in Corinthians tells us that we are not ignorant of his devices. So the birth of a physical baby in Bethlehem is so counter Satan's teaching. And on top of that, uh, he, he, the serpent that is, tried to convince Eve that there was no final judgment. What did he say? You shall not surely, you won't, you're not going to die. He suggests there was no final punishment. And these are the tenets of Gnosticism. And so that's why Satan throughout time has tried so desperately to keep a physical baby from being born. What's even more so, what's even more tremendous, more dramatic, I suppose, for um, somebody that prescribes to this is the fact that Jesus would be reincarnated, that would be resurrected with a body. That's a pretty amazing thing. So here's the path that Christ took. He was God, right? He came to earth, he was born, lived all those times, died on the cross, was resurrected, went to heaven, came back down again and, and stayed, was here for 40 days, as the book of Acts tells us, and then he went to heaven again. That period where he's ministering, that 40-day period where he's uh, ministering to people and he's trying to help them. And remember, he talked to the men on the road to Emmaus. And you remember, he's uh, trying to help, of course, uh, Peter, who went fishing again, to try to understand what his will for his life was. And so he desperately was trying to get his apostles to... To, to go back, and, and so they saw the resurrected Christ. And did Jesus have a real body when he came back again? He did, didn't he? He ate fish. Well, to eat, what do you need? You need teeth, right? You need to be able to chew. You have to have an esophagus. We're not going to get all of it. Uh, if you wanted all the, all the terms, talk to Michael. He knows all those things now. So uh, it had to be physical, and so he ate with him. He said, children, have you any meat? And he dined with them. It was a very physical thing. Why is it so important? And when John says... We, uh, that, that we, we heard these things, we perceived it, we saw it, we heard it, we beheld him. That was the resurrected Christ. That is so important. Hopefully now you see the importance of this because Satan all, throughout time wants to erase the fact that Jesus what became flesh because it goes against what he's been trying to get men to see all along. If Satan would have his way, he would get people to believe that they can be gods. Work salvation is what Gnosticism really is. There are only two gospels. There's the true gospel and the gospel of works. That's it. And anybody that believes that you have to do something to get to heaven takes the place of God. It really is the deification of man. And this is what Satan has been doing all along. And that's really what Gnosticism is because you have to do all of these things. And so it takes all of these different turns. What do I have to do to get to that spiritual higher plane? Well, uh, seances and tarot card reading and psychic reading and even martial arts or something. Who knows? It takes a whole bunch of different things. People are desperately trying to get this knowledge of a few yoga even and that sort of thing is to get you in a different state of mind meditation uh the catholic church has taken the, this up in, in some of their teaching and 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 so they it, they've incorporated it so paul here is fighting and colossians is fighting fighting against uh what we call gnosticism he claims now and this is what i want you to see in chapter two let's go back to colossians here chapter two he says here uh he claims superior knowledge but the superior knowledge that he claims is because of he's a church member and i want all of you to see this in chapter 2 verse 1 for i would i would that you knew what great conflict i have for you he says and when he says you here um he's he's talking to um probably epaphras but in extension the the church there 
and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in flesh. So you see that he probably didn't visit those churches, but he's writing to them. But he has great conflict in, in, in his heart for them. He says, verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and that to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Notice verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What Paul is trying to desperately get these Colossians who are filled with influences of paganism to see is that all the knowledge you need to, and, 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 and all of the spirituality that you need is contained completely and totally and wholly in Jesus Christ. You don't need more things. You don't need extra things. You need to have a closer relationship with him. That's what he's trying to get them to see. So he says that, and he says, This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul here claims... Uh, understanding. Uh, as we said, Paul never visited this church, but superior knowledge is, is really uh, given to the church. If I can help you understand tonight that what, what, um, the, what the Lord wants to do with churches, and our church and other churches, is he wants to give you knowledge. He wants to give you understanding in him, things that you wouldn't normally have. Um, let me refer you to Acts chapter 13 where the Holy Spirit told the church at Antioch, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. Notice they didn't tell Paul, Paul and Barnabas. Who did they, they speak to? They spoke to the church, didn't they? So that knowledge was given to the church. You remember when Paul in Acts chapter 9 was uh, saved and uh, he was blinded, if you remember. And uh, so the Lord's will for his life was given through Ananias, wasn't it? I might help you to think that Paul really wasn't a church member of any church at that time, but Ananias was. So that knowledge was given. So that's why it's such a, it's such a terrible thing when people skip out on church. Because we get in the flesh sometimes. And knowledge is hidden when that happens. The truth is hidden. When you're in the flesh, when I'm in the flesh, God's truth is hidden to us. And what do we need? We need to hear it again through the pulpit and through the teaching of God's word where, where we're really at. And that knowledge is given uh, through the church. And when church members unite with the church, uh, that's where superior knowledge is given. And so that's why those uh, of you that come to church faithfully, truth of the matter is you know more than spiritually more than what other people do because you're here. You're listening to it. You give yourself over to the teachings and the preachings that, uh, of, of your church. And it's a very important thing. First uh, John chapter 2, there the Bible says, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things, he says. That word unction is the word uh, for, that we get for energy. You have an unction, you have energy, you have a movement, you have a knowledge. And so superior knowledge is promised to the church. And it is the pillar and ground of the truth. So in 1 John 2.20, it shows that church members have that unction from the Holy One. Sorry, that's not the word uh, for energy. It's the word for charisma. I got that wrong. I should have looked at my notes. It's the idea of, of knowledge, of, being, of, of knowing things, and having wisdom, a special understanding. And he says, you know all things. Uh, Luke wrote his gospel as one that had perfect understanding, and the church of Jerusalem was given understanding, as I said, to separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that he had for them. So Paul's reason for writing to the church of Colossae was to warn them about these false teachers who would bring paganism into the church. Uh, and these heresies are anti-Christian to the core, and it begins with the physical birth of our Savior. So if we go to chapter 6 of chapter of uh, uh, sorry, verse 6 of chapter 2. 
As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Okay, so then it says verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Notice verse 8. Now think about Gnosticism, what I just said. And let's read verse 8 with that understanding now. He says here, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Do you think Paul is talking about the uh, Greek philosophers? I think so. And vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So you see how Gnosticism is anti-Christian? Why? Why why is that so? Look at verse 9. For in him, in who? In who? In Christ. Okay. Stay with me here. Dwelleth. What's the next word? All. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Wow. What a verse. What a verse. So what this tells me is that if I have the, the deeper relationship I have with Jesus Christ, the more of the fullness of God I, I, I will have. All, all, that, all that God wants for me, I can have. And all I have to do was develop that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we need. We need a closer walk with Christ. There is nothing. You say, well, what's, and, and so what, happened, what does the world try to do? The world tries to convince you that there's something you're missing. All right? Um, you know, I, so I, at, at the wedding yesterday, I don't know, I had, I had some lots of thoughts go through your mind. But I was thinking, 27 years ago, I, uh, I made the decision to accept Christ. And uh, that was, I could not have imagined that yesterday would have happened after all of that. But, but it did. And it wasn't me. It was this church. It was. John Hall wouldn't have witnessed to me if it wasn't for this church. He wouldn't have been saved if it wasn't for this church. His dad wouldn't have been. You can connect all of them, but it goes back to Christ ultimately, does because he established the church. And so I link all these things, and I thought to myself, wow, I, I, that's, that's amazing. And uh, what, what, what God has done in all of our lives, and any of you can come up here and give a testimony that way. But, but God's good. He is good. He's good beyond, and that seems so petty to say that. There's got to be a better word for it, but I just, it escaped me right now. But all the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Right? Notice that in verse 9. What does it say? Why does it say bodily? It's physical, isn't it? In a body. He's defying Satan here with these sayings. Verse 11, uh, Paul is dealing uh, with maybe some of, some of the Jewish, um, where, where you've got Judaism and, uh, and, uh, and paganism united together here in verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting out of the body the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So I think circumcision took a, a different meaning maybe, maybe in Judaism. It became a right to uh, get closer to, to God. And it had nothing to do with Christ, if you see what I mean. So it was just another thing that they did. And we're going to get to this in a minute. But so what is what does uh, this pagan philosophy say? It says, well, you have to do all these things to get to reach a higher spiritual plane. You don't. All you need is Christ. But maybe circumcision. So they tried to bring this into the church. Then it says in verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took him out of the way, nailing it to, the, to his cross. Wow. 
You'll never, if you're in Christ, you'll never be condemned by the law, ever. It's impossible, ever. He took it out of the way. He took it out of the way. It has no more meaning. And having spoiled principalities and powers, notice that in verse 15. With that, he spoiled principalities and powers. What's that talking about? It's talking about the spiritual realm. It's talking about Satan and his forces. It's talking about that. He spoiled them. You see that? He spoiled them. So when the Christ was born, I think that there was this terrible, terrible attack of Satan to try to keep that from happening, but they could not. So yes, there was a little baby born in a manger, yes. Uh, but Satan was looking at it in an entirely different way. So uh, then it goes on in verse 18, read that, let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. Do you see tonight how that the world system is really Gnostic? It really is. Because it's all about you. It's all about what you can be and what you can do. And it's how much you can make. And, you know, success is measured differently, isn't it? I think that if I were, um, that if, if it was up to my family, I, I'm a failure in their eyes. I'm a failure. But if I were to made money and been rich and influential this way, then I would have been a success. I don't think so. I'm going to give my testimony Tuesday to the, to the high school, uh, so I don't want to really get too much into it. But anyway, I'm not going to get into it. So what are we supposed to do? How, what does this mean for me? <clears throat> Look at verse 9 again. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Please understand, church member, you are complete, complete in him. Don't look outside there. You don't look for any kind of completion out there. So do you see how where <clears throat> we see people giving themselves over to the worldly philosophy and standards and all this, and it's all, it ends up uplifting that person to the point where they become what's the most important thing, and it's a deification of man. Satan doesn't say, worship me. He says, worship yourself. The church of Satan, that is the golden rule. Do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's their golden rule. And just like the church of Colossae fought against this, these pagan philosophies, so do we. We exist in a world that's, that's pagan, that's Gnostic in nature. and hates the Lord Jesus Christ and hates everything about him, wants to erase. That's why Xmas. I mean, really? Xmas? You see what the world is trying to do? They're trying to erase that. They're trying to, to, to let people not think of it. And so what's, what is it replaced with? Some fat white guy in a red suit. You know, this is the replacement for it. And then we live in this world. And just like the Church of Colossae had to fight against these things, they had to concentrate on their relationship with Christ. May this Christmas season help us to understand how important it was that a babe, a physical baby, was born and defied the forces of Satan when that happened. So, <clears throat> in order to do that, uh, Paul in chapter 3 helps us with this. He established the truth in, in chapter 2. And look at chapter 3. <clears throat> <clears throat> if ye then be risen with Christ. Now that, you uh, grammar people, be risen, that's past participle. In other words, it, it um, happened in the past, perfect, pardon me, happened in the past and continues to be so in the present. You're risen with him. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. In God's eyes, we're risen with Christ. Now think about that. that those words, I've got them kind of circled and boxed in my Bible because I was trying to, to, to think, how can I be risen with Christ and I'm living? Well, it's the walking dead is what it is. Just like Joseph Bader and John Fritz. <clears throat> He's another person. 
He looked like him. They were, he was familiar to them, wasn't he? They recognized who he was, but he wasn't the same person. So it goes on in verse 2. <coughs> Pardon me, in verse 1. Uh, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Look at verse 3. For ye are, what does it say there? You're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Now imagine a dead person laying right over here, a cadaver. And um, if you were to show that dead person all the temptations of the world, does it mean anything for that person? Are they going to be moved by to see and to hear and to desire the things of the flesh? No. They're dead. It means nothing. You could play the most powerful, enticing music and pictures and all the things that the world says and the money, and it's going to mean nothing to a dead person. Nothing. You're dead, it says, church member. Church member Colossae, this is what Paul says to them. This is what he says to church members at Fairhaven. You're dead. And what is it going on saying? Your life is hid with Christ in God. Jesus Christ was recognized by people, but he wasn't the same person after his resurrection. You remember with Mary at the tomb, she recognized who he was eventually, didn't and When at the shore, children have you any meat, I think it was John, eventually recognized who that was. It wasn't the same. Look at what it says in 4. When Christ, who is our life, he is our life. I don't know how you've understood that before. Maybe in a spiritual sense, and certainly that is true. But do you know that Christ is your physical life also? He has all of, all of your life. And he, everything that the word life signifies, he's it. And it happened when you got saved. Now, your life is hid with Christ. It's hid with him. It's, it's, he's our life. So that's why when he shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You remember when the Lord in John chapter 17 was, was praying to the Father and he said, uh, I in them and they in me, in me, in Christ. This is the, 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 the way we're supposed to walk. And it started with that baby being born with a physical body. You know, uh, the, uh, this, this, this is why I think um, because, of, because Christ is... Because Christ resurrected with a physical body, what I'm trying to say is this. When we pray, I know that he can hear me. He has ears. I know that's maybe a strange thought, but he's, he's a real person. We don't, we don't worship idols. That's why idolatry has never been a part of Christianity, because we serve a risen Savior. He's physically risen. So it's never had... Now, there is a Christian uh, idolatry, and it's, it's called covetousness. He deals with that here, too. But I think of the song, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. Notice the physical parts of these things. And just in time that I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. So, in Christ, we are dead, but in Christ, we're also resurrected. And that's why it says in chapter 3, verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ. In what way we're, we're, are we uh, risen? In verse um, 12 of chapter 2, uh, it says, Being buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. That's the word for energy, the operation of God. And uh, it says in verse 12, 
sorry, buried, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So you see, if you're in Christ, and if he's risen, then so are we. We're dead, yet we're walking. We're the walking dead. Um, the, in the winter of 2001 in Canada, there was a young girl named Erica Nordby. And she was about 13 months old, and so she had just learned to walk. Well, they, I think it was right around Christmas time, and they were at a friend's house, her mother, that is, and she has a little three-year-old sister. And so they're sleeping together in the bed, and this young child gets up and starts to walk around, doesn't know, isn't familiar with the place, ends up walking outside into the freezing night air, unbeknownst to anybody. At about 3 a.m. in the morning, her mother realized that she was gone, eventually found her outside, and she had been outside in the freezing cold for four hours, and she was stiff. They brought her in, and they tried to warm her up. They put a blanket on her, and they gave her an IV through her, her bone marrow to warm her up. But she ended up making a full recovery. And it's a pretty amazing story I was reading about that. But you know, there are the, the Internet is filled with, with stories about that, coming back from un- unbelievable situations. But we know that they never really did die. But, but as Christians, that old life and that old way of living and thinking, you know, is dead. It's dead in us. We truly have died and resurrected. We are the walking dead. So in Christ, we have this hidden life. Um, we have, we're recognized as we were before. We are, but there should be a difference. And uh, there have been times where people have, have recognized that uh, in me. There's a lot, a lot of times that they have it. There's times they have. And uh, people have told me, they, they, without me telling them, they say, you're, you're, you're a Christian. I can remember one time in particular, my wife would remember this. I think, I think Michael was maybe one year old, too. I'm not, I don't remember. We were going through Missouri. And uh, I was trying to, um, trying to figure out where I was going. And there was a speed trap. In other words, the, the speed limit drop. I wasn't paying attention to the speed limit, in truth. I was trying to figure out which way to go. Well, a policeman stops me. And uh, he comes to the, to the door there, and uh, he asked us, he told me, he said, you were speeding, I, 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 I guess I was, I wasn't paying attention to the speed limit, the truth is, I'm not from here, I don't know this area, and I, I, I was speeding. So I was just going to pay the ticket. <laughs> and so uh, he, then he said, he said, come with me. Okay, so I get out of the car, and I go back with him, and then he said this. I probably have all the details wrong here, but then he said this. He said, get in the front with me. In the front of the police car. <laughs> you know, where his rifle is and all that, right in the front there. Okay. So I sat in the front there, and my wife's probably thinking, what in the world? And so this guy, he says, you're, you're, you're a Christian. I can tell you're a Christian. He says, I'm a, I'm a pastor also. I do the police work on the side, but I'm a pastor. We had a theological discussion about sin and salvation, like for 15, 20 minutes there. <laughs> And then, much to my delight, he didn't give me a ticket. <laughs> so I said, thank you, brother. And, uh, <laughs> and, and there's, so there, are, there have been those times, but what was it that he didn't see me? I looked just like, but he saw God's spirit. You can tell, can't you? You know, if we went to uh, China or another country and we've met with the Christians there, you can tell they're Christians. You can tell. You have, a, you, can't, you have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea what you're saying. By the way, Elio, you speak English pretty well. I was translating that prayer this morning. I was impressed. Almost American. Almost. Yeah, okay. I was meant to say that. <laughs> so, 
But we have, um, so in 1 Peter, well, let me just read these verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Then it says this, whom having not seen, ye love. If I were to show you a picture a hundred years ago, I'll use that one, of somebody in my family. Um, I can show you the picture of them, and you might um, see that person. But it's real difficult to love that person. You don't, you don't know who that person is. We've never seen Christ. But I'll tell you right now, a lot of you I know love him. I know you do. How can that be? Because he's risen. That's why. Because he's real. I don't know about the person in the picture, but I know Christ is alive. Then it goes on, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with unspeakable and full, uh, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How can we rejoice? You've never seen Christ. You've never seen him with your eyes. How can you rejoice? Because he's alive. He's real. That's why. Um, I was thinking, um, I, think it was, I think Dr. Mitchell said it, that our names are written down. Um, rejoice. Uh, yeah. Re- rejoice rather that your names are written down. I thought about that. I thought, so when we get to heaven, it's not going to be like, Oh, you're new here? Who, who are you exactly? They, they know who I am. They already know who I am. They already know who you are. It's going to be more like, hey, come on over. We've been waiting for you. Wow. That's amazing. My name is written down there. That's amazing. Isn't God good? So, um, of course, we know we'll be with him. I, I won't go into all this, but one, one day we're going to see him. We will see him physically. And the person that we now love and that we rejoice with him, we're going to see him in his body. I don't know what you think you'll do at that time. I, I, are you, I guess I'll fall before him. I guess I'll, I don't know. I guess I'll run and embrace him. I don't know. He'll have a body. I guess uh, hopefully he'll take me by the hand. I don't know what I'll do. But what, what a glorious time that's going to be. The Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because Satan rules this world, is Gnostic to the root, but, but, a, but a risen Savior and a, a, a baby physically born destroys all of that. Beloved, now are, you the son, now are you the sons of God. So it's a similar theology, isn't it? Now we are. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. So talk about Gnosticism, we know. That when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, so here's the thing there. I, I've given you this, but what does that do for me? What should my walk be? Well, Paul tells us here. So let's go to Colossians chapter 3. I'll go through this quickly. So what is our walk to be in light of our position with Christ? <clears throat> I've just stated, and Paul has stated for us, you're dead, and you're resurrected, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's established truth. So therefore, being risen in Christ, what does he go on to say here? Number one, seek those things that are above. Listen to me, church. Seek those things that are above. Seek them. Seek them. Look for them. Look for heavenly things and and all that goes on here. Don't don't live here. Listen, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Look for those things that are above. Greater things, more wonderful things. If you can't be encouraged by that, you say, I'm trying to uplift you. Isn't this a wonderful thing? Seek those things that are above. The fact that we can 
He goes on to say, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Many verses, I've got 10, 12 verses, not 10, 12, about six or seven verses here uh, talking about uh, Christ sitting at the right hand of the throne. But that's a very physical thing, isn't it? He's sitting. In fact, in Stephen's sermon, Christ actually stood up. Well, excuse me, but he has to have legs. He has to have a body. You see, it's physical. Abraham, he was commended because he was a pilgrim on earth. And he looked forward to heaven. Sometimes when I finish my college classes, I'd say, all right, pilgrims, we'll see you next time. We're pilgrims. We're just going through this life. And thank goodness. So you really don't have to worry what happens in life. You don't have to fear any of those things. There's no need. People that don't live their life in Christ, they should fear those things, but we don't have to. Hebrews 11.10 says about Abraham, he looked for a city whose which have foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 13 says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So number one, seek those things that are above. Number two, in light of our position, mortify your members. Look at verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members. That word is necro. We, ne- we get the word necromancy from that. It means to deaden is what it means. Now, he's not saying mortify, like cut those things off. He's saying make the body of sin of no effect. <clears throat> this follows naturally. So just like that dead person would never be affected by anything, they can't be tempted by it, that's the way we should live. Not that we should give ourselves over to it, not that we should feel confidence just immersing ourselves in it, but the point is it should have no effect on us. We're dead. So when that temptation comes, nope, I'm dead. doesn't do anything to me. I'm dead. My life is hid with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Yet not I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So mortify your members. <clears throat> um, so this follows naturally from that. Notice all this list in verse 5. Um, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. When I think of inordinate affection, now, people have affection to things and it's not orderly. It's weird. So this would include homosexuality and that kind of thing. It's just inordinate. It's not right. It doesn't fit the natural order of things. And this is what, what but the world, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just going to say this. How in the world anybody can subject their kids to a public education when they teach them this trash is beyond me. Boy, am I thankful for our school. Thank God for our school. So he says, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice that. There is Christian idolatry. It's covetousness. I cover, the, cover these things. You could, you could be a multi-billionaire. You know, if um, Elon Musk were to die today, he would stand before God with no, not even his clothes. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. He would have nothing. Can't take anything with him. And I hope he's saved. I hope, I hope he knows the Lord. I do. I think our president needs to know the Lord. You pray for him? Pray for our vice president? Okay, he's making bad decisions, but he needs, he needs the Lord. He needs the Lord. I, I pray that there's a good Christian somewhere around him that would have the, the wherewithal to, to, to talk to him. Verse 8 says, put off the sins of the tongue. Oh, he doesn't say that, but this is the idea. Verse 8, but now you also, also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. You're dead, and you've been resurrected. You've got a different mouth now. 
I can remember when I got saved, that was just something that happened naturally. I don't like to think about it, but I used to have a pretty filthy mouth because other people around me had it that way, and that's what, that's what it was, cursing and all the rest of it. But I, when I got saved, that just automatically changed because I was given a new, uh, because I was dead. My life was hid with Christ. Be honest. Look at verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So the old man with his deeds is a liar. Did Satan lie to Eve in the garden? He did. Is Gnosticism a lie? It's a lie. And the world system is lies to people. It's just lies. We shouldn't be that way. You're dead. Be honest. Um, <clears throat> number five, put on brotherly kindness. Look at verse 12. Uh, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. One another. Who is it talking about? It's talking about church members. We're to forbear and we're to forgive. If you have odd against your brother tonight, remember this, that whatever you'll accuse them of, I guarantee you, you've done it. Bitterness should have no place in your life. Whatever you're bitter about, I guarantee you that other people can be bitter against you for the same thing. Considering yourself, get, get right with your brother. Get right tonight. Get those things right. If you've said something to them, get it right. Because why? Because you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's why. Those, those, those are of the past. They're supposed to be of the past. There's no part. Should be not once named among you. And then do all things in the name of Christ. Look at verse 17. And whatsoever ye do, in word or in deed, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. <clears throat> Can I help you with something? Sometimes people believe it's their um, ministry in life to maybe be um, a husband or a wife. And certainly that is part of it, or even a, a good child. Certainly that's part of it. But that changes. No, I, 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 don't, I can't make decisions for Andrew anymore. He's established his own home. He makes his own decisions. So that's changed. My function as his dad when he was in my house was to lead and guide him, but that's changed now. Does it mean my purpose is gone? It doesn't. If I was to die tomorrow, does my wife still have a purpose? Right now, part of her purpose is to be my wife, and she serves God through being my wife, but that may change. Some of you have lost your, your husband's wife, but does your purpose change? No. Your purpose, ultimate purpose, like it says here in verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the name of the Lord. One day, I'm not going to be able to serve God the way I do now. One day I'm not going to be able to knock on doors. I'm sure it's going to happen one day. Is my purpose gone? Is it? No. It may change. It may look differently. But if everything I'm to do, I'm to do in the name of the Lord Jesus, then that purpose never changes. People get depressed. People lose it because, because they think that, and, and they lose their spouse, I guess, or it's not just that but anything. And they think, well, my purpose is gone. No, it's not. It may change. Your purpose stays the same. As long as you're breathing and as long as you're not six feet under, you've got a purpose because God has you here. The same God that has a body and is alive and you pray to and he hears us and we know these things are true. Your, your life is always hid in Christ with God. Always. And then do all things sincerely from the heart. Verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that, the Lord shall, uh, that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Our inheritance is from the Lord, and nothing in this life can possibly compare to that. So church, you are resurrected. I, I like, you may know this, I like cars. I know that's a surprise to you, but I, so I watch uh, car resurrection when I've got some time. I'll watch it. That's a big thing. That's what I like to do. I like them, and I've always liked that. Ever since I was a little kid, my dad bought five acres in Dyer, Indiana, and he was from Chicago. He didn't know how to, how to take care of five acres, so he bought this little lawnmower. We soon found out it wasn't going to do it. And uh, so we bought two or three of them. We thought it was going to do that. And I can remember taking them apart, and one of them I painted, and I put flames on it, and I did some kind of fun things with it. And so ever since I was, I always liked redoing things. I had a 71 Pontiac Le Mans, and I redid that and painted it and everything. So I've always enjoyed doing things like that. And take something that's, that's nasty and then see the transformation. I just love that kind of thing. And... Um, And, and that's the idea of that, that kind of resurrection and the idea of changing that which was and to make it something better is all what the Lord Jesus Christ does. He's the great reverser. He takes what our life was and makes it of no effect. He takes it out of the way and he makes something new out of it. And we're to walk in that. And Christ is our example. And it began with that baby being born in, in the flesh in, in, in that manger. So many years, now so many years ago, it started with that. That was the beginning of Jesus Christ reversing everything or turning everything around for us. You know, people that went to Christ and they couldn't see, how did they leave? They saw perfectly fine. They went to him, they couldn't hear. They went to him with leprosy, but how did they leave? They left differently, didn't they? They went to him, they couldn't walk. Couldn't walk since birth sometimes. And immediately... They jumped up, carrying their bed with them. Wow. Jesus is the great reverser. And as a church member of Fairhaven Baptist Church, let's, let's walk in the light of that truth. And it all began with that baby in a manger one, one time so many years ago. Let's pray. If you stand, please, your hairs bowed and your eyes closed. I, I, my intention was...